Hey, Kathy, do you know what time of year it is? I do. It's the holiday season. Right. And this year, I'm planning ahead and stocking up on a gift that will cover all the readers and want-to-be readers in my life. Well, give us this great gift idea. Okay. It's our new Read Happy, the ultimate reading journal. And we designed it with our friends in mind, so it's perfect. Plus, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org. And there are links on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com and journalhappy.com. Happy holidays. And happy reading. Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words and Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Matt Witten. I really enjoyed his book, Kathy. It's called Killer Story, and I can't wait to ask him all about it. It really, yeah, it's cool cover. It's a cool and cover. With the, with the microphone, see, look, I'll, I'll reenact it right here. <laughs> yeah. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm reenacting the cover. And um, anyway, it does skirt around a few moral questions to do with um, both journalism and podcasting, So, but that's not an issue for us, of course. No, absolutely not. <laughs> As long as we stick with fiction, we're going to be just fine. Okay. <laughs> so um, before we get started in our conversation, I really want to tell everybody about Matt. He is a TV writer, novelist, playwright, and screenwriter. He has written for many TV shows that you have heard of, listeners, um, including House, Pretty Little Liars, one of my favorites, CSI Miami, and Law and & Order. His thriller novel, The Necklace, came out from Ocean View Publishing last year um, to great success. And it's been optioned for film by Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's an up and comer. <laughs> um, his latest thriller that we're talking about today is Killer's Story. Um, and it's about a true crime podcaster. Um, it comes out on January 17th. Matt also has written four um, amateur sleuth novels that were published by Signet, including a Malice Domestic award-winning Breakfast at Madeline's, and he has been nominated for two Edgars and an Emmy. He is currently writing a drama pilot for NBC, as well as a Hallmark mystery movie based upon the novel A Dark and Stormy Murder by Julia Buckley. He's very busy, so we're really lucky he got to fit us in today. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Kathy. Hi, Christy. It's so great to have you, and it, like we were just discussing, you have a, a lot on your feet. <laughs> Normally, we are, well, this is the point where we talk a little bit about the wine, but it is January, and so I am attempting to do dry January, so I have, oh, actually, yeah. I don't know if you guys can see this, it's reflecting... It's um, Geisen Zero De-Alcoholized Rosé, and I'm sorry you can't see it. Oh, interesting. But it's de-alcoholized. How do you de-alcoholize? I know, you can't even say it. I can't and I'm, even say I mean, it. And, and I haven't had alcohol, and I can't say it. So, But it is pretty tasty. It is tasty. So if you guys ever want to try hmm, it. Interesting. Sounds good. What are you having, Matt? Are you having a, a beverage today? Uh, yes. Uh, water with a slice of lemon. <laughs> Nice. The best. Very nice. <laughs> I am having, uh, I am also having, I'm having my favorite 
afternoon a Perrier on ice. Oh, nice. Even though it's freezing here. Okay. <laughs> I was going to make tea, but I was worried about, um, I wanted a little green tea, but I didn't want caffeine. For me, this is late in the day here, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just having some water. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, so let's get on with the questions. And before I do, I want to tell a little bit about the book itself. Um, so this book is, it follows um, a young journalist. Her name is Petra Kovac. And I believe that's her name. No, that's good. I, it's a book, so I can <laughs> no, say well it the done. way I want, right? Um, but anyway, she, she launches a true crime podcast. And she's trying to investigate the murder of this alt-right um, YouTuber that she just happens to have been very close with and thought of her like a younger sister, even. And so she starts going into this. And in order to have good ratings, she kind of does some kind of <laughs> shady stuff. I mean, she's supposedly really trying to get to the bottom of the murder. And I kind of feel like she is. But at the same time, you know, a lot of things are questionable on whether they're even legal and um, causes a lot of problems for both her work, her love life, and her reputation. But the whole time, she's going to catch this killer to kind of redeem herself. So the question I have, like we mentioned earlier, it really shows the dark side of investigative reporting. So I'm wondering two things. One, has traditional journalism really come to the point um, where the story is like more important than getting to the bottom of the facts? And number two, if that's right, then what's causing it? Social media or what? Well, first of all, just uh, thank you so much for that description of the book. I loved it. That was so good. I thought oh, I'd like you to come you. with me on my... Uh... Yeah, Christy is available. You can just bring her along on your tour. <laughs> I would like that. I would like that very much. Um, you know, journalism is having such a tough time. I, I read a statistic yes, uh, last week that really amazed me, which is that every week, two newspapers in America are going, United States, are going out of business. I mean, stunning. I had to read that, you know, five times to make sure I got it right. Two a week. And wow. uh, we've lost, uh, I think the stat was a quarter of our newspapers. And it's predicted that by the time another five years rolls around, we'll have lost a third. Uh, we lose so many journalists. I believe we've lost uh, uh, 28,000 journalists lose their job per year is the number that I remember. It's just a terrible situation. And I just know so many people who are in journalism who have been laid off. Um, a guy I know, Will Doolittle, works for a terrific small town newspaper in upstate New York called the Glens Falls Post Star. And when he started 20 years ago, they had 50 reporters, and now they have eight reporters. So it's a very, very difficult field to succeed in. And yet, so many people are still getting into this field. I know so many people in their 20s with so much passion and so much uh, desire to, to to become journalists, and and they have they have a drive for it the same way that that we uh, you know the three of us might have to be to be writers. They have that uh, drive to be journalists. So um, it just amazes me that people do this, and it's it impresses me, and it's still so difficult. It's so easy to lose your job. Newspapers and internet outlets and any kind of journalism outlets. It's so easy for them now to know exactly how many people are reading the article. Uh, you just look at those clicks. So now it's very obvious. Okay, only four people clicked on this article about a local uh, school board meeting, but 
you, you know, 2,000 people clicked on an article about the Kardashians yeah. or whatever it might be. Well, okay, then you want to have the article about the Kardashians. And, you know, on the one hand, this is good. You know, it means you do a better job of giving the consumers what they want. But on the other hand, there's obviously some some issues too. So, you know, these these journalists of any age, but journalists have such a tough time now because they have to show their worth. They have to show, look, I got, you know, 100,000 people clicking on my uh, on my uh, story. And so that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a star in that situation. It really is so super important to get clicks that you see in the headlines that people write. And, you know, obviously the word clickbait is the is what's used here. Mm -hmm. The headlines that people uh, put on articles often are not exactly completely honest, really. I believe that people sensationalize stories even more than they used to because there's so much pressure on them. There's so much incredible pressure on them. So, you know, this is true for podcasts too. If you want to uh, have a successful, you know, true crime podcast, maybe you stick straight and narrow to the truth. And maybe the truth is really, you know, ambiguous in a way that's not like fun ambiguous, but just like, well, we don't really know, you know, and, and it's, it's just not going to get you many listeners. Whereas if you have a podcast where it really feels like, oh my God, these people are getting to the truth and they're discovering new stuff, amazing stuff about these people. You know, every single week I get to tune in and, and it's amazing. You know, then you get a shot at millions of clicks. And if you get that, then you get a shot at making serious money as a podcaster and uh, having that kind of uh, fame translate into your success in other journalism fields as well. So mm -hmm. uh, the motivations now are such that, that uh, yes, I think there's a, a tremendous motive to care about clicks more than one cares about the truth. And, you know, obviously mm -hmm. journalists get into the field because they care about uncovering the truth. I don't I mean, maybe journalists also want to be famous, too. You know, you, you know, you imagine yourself, you know, on CNN and like, you know, being up there. So, you know, you know, that's part of it. But so that's that's kind of the tension of the book, you know, like like the main character says she wants to do good in the world and also be famous. Oh, actually, two of the characters right. say that. And that's her thing. I just think there's so much motivation, you know, to have your kind of dark side come out. Mm -hmm. of this you way. know, one thing that I thought was really um great and a huge compliment to you is that Hank Philippi Ryan blurbed um, your book. And she is a, a, a lifelong investigative reporter with tons of credentials. And her take on this was that Killer's story is authentic and all too realistic, a deep dive into journalists' tactics, ambitions, and cutthroat passion. And so I, I just thought that was a major compliment for you that you caught that um, Oh, that just that zeitgeist, you know, of like you say, the the competition and the passion, but also the pressure on them. And you know, there's also been so much pressure in the last few years um, on um, journalists um, as far as clickbait and all that stuff. But then I think there have been a lot of attacks on journalists that we haven't seen in a long time. And so, um, and the questioning right. what is truth and what is you know, I um, that's that's. It's fascinating. It's so hard because like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, and even reading the book, I would get, I was, you know, there were points where, you know, mm -hmm. you just get frustrated. Yeah. You're like, you know, why does this have to be this way? But then you know it is, you know, and you know how it is in the world. And it's just like, people don't even care to know the real, the deep truth. They just want to know quick, yeah. quick, tell me what it is. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. And then they go on and then... You know, this false information gets out there. It's and a great yeah. 
It's it's very tricky because I know when I listen to podcasts, I like the excitement mm-hmm. too. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and I like yeah. that that drive yeah. too. So I can see it's it's yeah. me they're trying to get, you know, to click on. I know, and now I'm starting to rethink yeah. a lot of the true crime. I'm like going, did they really go into this as much as they should? Because they had me believe in th- this person or that person. And um and the same with like documentaries on TV too. Yeah. Actually, yeah. now when you think about if you, it, if you if you're interested, if you want to study more on the subject, there was a pretty famous documentary on TV uh, three or four years ago called "Making a Murderer." It's actually one of the things that inspired uh, Killer Story, and well, he made a pretty convincing case that maybe this one dude was innocent, and, and maybe this other guy was innocent too. Well, then after it came out, podcast. Then you read some of the stuff that they left out and left in. It was pretty striking. And I still believe that uh, the the guy who was mentally disabled probably didn't do it. But the other guy, man, they left out some stuff. I felt completely cheated by that that, uh, documentary. And the the fact that it's a documentary. You know, that's what's really interesting. Because when you say documentary, to me, that means the full full history, right? Because if you're talking about a criminal case... um, you know, there's things that, that the public isn't released. There's, you know, a judge gets to decide what each party gets to hear and what gets released. Um, but documentary, I always feel like they're going to do the full dive. And so when you feel like you got cheated on that, that's really interesting. Okay, I, yeah. so I so let's yeah. talk about Petra because um, she is, as we talked about, she's in um, this industry that's rapidly changing, and she is looking at getting fired. She's looking at losing her job. And I think you do such a good job of, investigating those feelings that whether it's journalism or anybody in the last few years that has gone through upheaval in their professional career. And I thought that was really an interesting emotional journey. Um, And on top of that, she's a first generation immigrant. And that just added so many layers. And so I was wondering where this rich character came from. Well, I I work in television. I'm a television writer. And what that means is, like all television writers, I've been laid off. Mm. I've been laid off more than once. I've been laid off four times. And man, it does not feel good. And you might know that, you know, you're laid off because uh, a new head writer came onto the show and he wants to hire, the, they want to hire their own people. Um, or there might be some reason that might have nothing to do with you, really. But still, uh, it's, oh my God, it's such a tough feeling. And, and you just you just go through everything. So, uh, yeah, so I had experienced that. It's, it's, it's one of the most difficult things that I've ever experienced. So I got to explore that in, in the character of Petra, who, who was feeling these, uh, these same things. And um, I really enjoyed it. And it just made me love Petra. <laughs> it just made me love Petra. And some people will say, how could she do this and that? And I get it. She does a lot of bad yeah. things, you know. Uh, she, you know, she kind of, she turns good at the end. But <laughs> she does a lot of good things in, in, in the middle. And, That's and we like, like her, though. Man, I love her. I don't care. I don't care. I'm with yeah. her all the way. And a lot of the times she's doing. I mean, I feel like she was. She was. She was fooling herself too. Yeah. Like she really wasn't as bad as it came across <laughs> sometimes. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I liked her too. Yeah, there good. you go. I, I, I just loved her. <laughs> she. Uh, the, you know, the first. The, the first generation part of it is interesting to me too because I, I know a couple of first generation people who are trying to kind of jump the usual run of things, which is usually, you know, so, like in my own family, people come to this country and then the children get like a, you know, a nice middle-class job. You know, there are garbage men, policemen, uh, nurses, uh, teachers, you know, good middle-class job. And then the generation after them, 
um, dares to dream, mm. you know, of big things. And I know a couple people who are uh, in their 20s, early 30s, who, who are like their first generation, their parents came to this country and they were born here. And they're, they're, they dream big dreams. You know, they want to be big Hollywood directors. They're trying to do this. And it's just difficult because they might not have the money, let's say, to have a summer internship. So all their, you know, buddies at Chapman <laughs> University or or uh, wherever it might be that gets getting internships at nice production companies for the summer and are getting paid nothing. Well, these folks can't do that. You know, they've got to um, uh, make money or take care of their siblings. They, they, they don't have that option. So um, I just find it interesting, the folks that that just uh, that are just that have that dream anyway, you know, despite that that part of it. Um, so yeah, that was that was the first generation part. Yeah, of it I just I thought that was a really cool um, extra layer in there. And then the other thing I thought that was really interesting, you you mentioned about Petra that you know we kind of love to dislike her for a while, and she does redeem herself. But then she's um, you know the juxtaposition is that the victim right, um, who she liked, has some pretty loathsome qualities as a sorry in my as yeah, a reader, that's, that's true. what i thought yeah. you know as a alt-right youtuber and so i thought that was such an interesting oh back and forth to create and uh that was pretty cool especially in this you know day and age where everything's one side the other you know now we have people that are opposites yeah. but not you know right. they're yeah it's interesting I, I i tried to write it in such a way that um People of all political stripes would enjoy it, except maybe alt writers might not like it that much. But you know, just to, like a, mm -hmm. a, you know, a straight up, uh, you know, conservative person, you know, the the, the majority, I, I think, still of the Republican Party, you know, will like it, and liberals will like oh, yeah. it, and they'll, you know, and it'll just be alt writers. Mm -hmm. will, but um, it was interesting. I, I, you know, I, I did some studying on how people get involved in these um, extremist political groups, whether it's. Um, uh, you know, whether it's ISIS or whether it's uh, certain branches of QAnon and the alt-right, you know, these very extremist uh, mm -hmm. groups. And, um, you know, it seems they offer a sense of community to people. So I think that's what it, mm -hmm. it offered to Olivia. And Olivia, not to do any, uh, what do you call it, spoilers. Yeah. But, you know, she had some things, she had some things going on in her personal life as she was a, a, a teenage girl that were not uh, that positive. And, um, and right. so she had a lot of anger that she had to put somewhere and so the uh, mm -hmm. the alt-right uh gave her a place yeah, they to present put it. themselves at the to mm -hmm. the right people at the right time it seems yeah all right well let's yeah. take a little a little yeah. segue here we this is where we usually have a little glass of wine or drink wine sorry not the oh, entire okay, glass well. so we'll all have our water and her rosé right. we'll live vicariously Christy. very good <laughs> <laughs> it's the alcohol <laughs> i just want to make you say that again so this is right. um may <laughs> I said it better that time, didn't I? Yeah. Matt, this is a, um, what we call the question in a bottle. It's a, a fun question that you might get to the bottom of a bottle. What would you do if a stranger in a limousine handed you an envelope with $100,000 and drove away? Wow. That's a, that... Oh, that's, and that has a sort of a moral aspect to it as well, I would say. That's a great question. Well, I would say if I was afraid of getting caught... <laughs> I would, I would give it to, I would think for a while, am I going to get caught? And if I was afraid of getting caught, I would call the cops. And if I wasn't afraid, you know what I would probably do? <laughs> I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably, 
I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably ask my wife. <laughs> You're laughing before you answer. This can be good. <laughs> I would ask my wife. I'm, I'm, uh, might also call up a couple of close friends, and uh, ask yeah. for their advice that I trust, and <laughs> then I would take it from there. <laughs> That's a great premise, actually, Christy, for a, for someone out in Matt's world to, to yeah. a TV show, it feels like, or a good novel. That's a pretty wild thing. What would you do, Christy? Oh, no, I'm asking you first. <laughs> you can't ask me first. I'm, like, trying to think. I'm like, um, I don't know. I'd be very tempted to use it. But at the same time, I you know, it's like, it's a good question because it depends on the strangers in a limousine. All right, so that means that they have a lot of money, and maybe they just, I looked really poor. I, I tend to dress down a lot. and Oh, you look pretty good. So you're, you're thinking they're giving it to yeah, us. you know, I mean, it's a T-shirt. I'm wearing shorts with stains on them, but you're, that's okay. You're, you're, Nobody can see that. that you pre- that you surmise is that they gave it to you because you looked like you needed the money? Is that what you're saying? Sure, and they're just very oh. generous, and they it was probably the holidays, and wow. so I would give a lot of it to charity, and then I would pay some bills and okay so this is very interesting because this this means it makes you what it presume the premise because like matt said he's like i mean am i gonna get in trouble here to me it feels like you're becoming a right. accomplice to a I crime know. it's like <laughs> is this candid camera wow. um, that's true but i imagine if you went to the cops and they just said well they gave it to you then they probably then you'd probably be justified like they're not going to say oh we have to take your money that they gave you, you, they would be like, okay, well, if we hear of somebody having a hundred thousand in an envelope stolen or something, we'll be in touch with you. That's what I would do. I would put it in a, in a safety deposit box. Just sit quietly. Yeah. And and wait a while. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Wait a while. Honestly, I don't think I'd probably tell the IRS if I decided to keep it. (laughs) Okay. And you know what? That's our little (laughs) clickbait for our social media. Matt Wetton. Hides from the IRS. <laughs> you have to listen to our podcast to find it out. Might get me more readers. Yeah. If I would think that. it probably. Yeah. Would. You yeah. know, it's funny. Is it reminds me of the Powerball um, lottery. It was a. It's a huge number again today. I saw on the news, and I. Whenever I hear about those winners, I always hope that they're in a state where you don't have to reveal publicly who you are. You know, some states make you. They make you. Um, you oh, know. really? Yes. In some states, I didn't know they anonymous. made you. I thought you could be anonymous. It depends on the state's um, laws. And I always, I don't know what South Dakota is or California or Florida, but I always thought that would be the last thing I would do is tell anybody <laughs> the, the, just because it would complicate your life. No, better. yeah. First thing I do is go get, uh, you know, a, an attorney or something and yeah. make sure it's all and legit in the <laughs> bank where, you know, avoiding as many taxes as possible. And- <laughs> You and Matt are in the same boat. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'm excited to talk to Matt about all the writing he does because he's not just a novelist. He is a screenwriter, a playwright. And um, on your website, Matt, you you have a little tab for writers. And so, of course, I'm a writer. Chrissy's a writer. I immediately went there. And one of the first things you share is your writing routine. And I don't know if that's still accurate, but you share your writing routine. It's a early morning 45 minute bike ride which is very um, impressive then to a cafe especially in south dakota because of the snow 
<laughs> forty five miles or forty five minutes, I could really cover some ground. Yeah, here. you you could do you could do it on your Peloton. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, and then you go to a cafe where you do your writing, but then you also like to converse with other writers. And I was completely taken by this because one, I'm in South Dakota. I I do not have a large community of writers around me. Um, if I go to a cafe, there's a lot of students, but not a lot of um, fiction writers necessarily. And so I love the idea in California that you can go to a cafe and there's just fiction writers everywhere. Everywhere, right? And so I want to talk to you about that, um, if my idea actually matches the reality. And then two, why do you think both readers and writers are so interested in hearing about other writers' writing routines? I guess because, you know, sometimes it's so hard to get into it to start in the morning to really get down and get to your desk or your computer and really start writing so i guess everybody wants to know how to how to motivate yourself to do it and how to get yourself to do it um i know that's why i do i mean i want to ask everybody like uh, yeah we we love that and everybody um that's one of the most popular questions we hear from listeners that you know we're like what what would you like us to ask ask about the writing routine whether they're writers or not but you know it's interesting i don't have many people ask me about my day job like how do you get into it like how what's your routine to do your day job right like i you know my husband's a an eye doctor nobody asks him how do you get into seeing your patients you know like there's no there's no romance i'm gonna ask him that the next time i see him (laughs) right there's no there's not a lot of interest these mantras in the mirror or something you know or you're a plumber. How Eyes you... are my life. <laughs> right? How do you pull up to your first plumbing job of the day? Like, it's I got to a... feel it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think that's really interesting because it's not, there isn't a, a, t- a tactile thing. And so you have to find your way. And so you did find your way, it sounds like. Is that still mm-hmm. what you're doing each day? When you're, uh, yeah, it when is. You're I do like this. It is. I, I do like to start out with exercise. It, it gets my mind going. Um, and, uh, then when I'm at the coffee shop, I'll see, you know, some of my friends there, fellow writers, uh, uh, usually screenwriters, but sometimes fiction writers. And um, so I get a little bit of socializing because, you know, when I'm at home writing in the morning, I'm just by myself. Actually, I was at home this morning writing because it was raining so much. We usually don't get rain here in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, but when I'm at home writing in the morning, there's a tendency for me just to feel lonely, cranky and just, rah, you know, like that. But if I get out first thing in the morning and it's a beautiful bike ride and coffee shop's pretty and there's lots of nice people there and, you know, I know a lot of the people and a lot of the people know me. So I feel like, you know, like, you know, the, my favorite things in the world are, are well, exercising and uh, uh, especially when I can listen to a podcast while I exercise, which is what I do. I listen mm-hmm. to podcasts during my whole bike ride and then socialize. And then when it gets down to writing, like I've kind of eased into my day a little. I've I've kind of, um, you know, had a lot of fun. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like I'm not I'm not feeling bad that I haven't had like fun. And then it's like you know, eventually I get to oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I think I'll write. You know, mm-hmm. I just kind of ease into it and I start. Now that routine is good for me because uh, I don't have a day job. So if I try to look back and and remember how I used to do it when when I had a day job. You know, I, I probably could not do such a lengthy uh, warm-up period, you know, before yeah. I wrote. So yeah. That was probably a little yeah. bit more of like, uh, you know, just drive to the coffee shop on the way to work and then write for an hour and a half and then keep going or mm-hmm. uh, then keep going to my workplace. Or um, if I was at home, 
I don't, I don't remember. Uh, yeah. I just did it. I guess. Well, now do you, um, are you right? Like now do you work on both? Like you're, do you, you're working on a screenplay for the Hallmark movie or whatever. Are you mm-hmm. still working on that? And then you're also writing, I'm guessing another novel. Right. Um, yeah. I'm usually able to do two projects at once. And then if I have three projects at once, then I, my brain starts to go in the fritz. So, for instance, uh, Killer Story comes out in two weeks. I'm doing a fair amount of work on publicity. So that's one thing. And mm-hmm. then I've got uh, the Hallmark movie, which I'm also working on, which is uh, two things. And so the novel that I'm writing had to take the back seat for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's what I'm doing. I, I can do uh, two at Which once, do you basically. like better, novel or screenwriting? Or they're just you totally know, different? They are very different. Usually I like novel writing better because it's, it's you know, totally my passion and it comes from my heart um, mm-hmm. when I've written for TV. And I like all these shows that, you know, you mentioned at the top of the show, House and Pretty Little Liars and Law and Order and these mm-hmm. other shows. Um, I like them. Uh, they're not from my heart. So it's not as, uh, uh, and every episode that I write, I, I definitely try to make it from my heart and put all of myself into it and all, all my soul into it and really understand the characters and love them and care about them and everything. Um, but still, it's not as deep for me usually. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I like novel writing. I also like, I like to be by myself, even though I like to be at the coffee shop, I like to be by myself. Having said that, I just wrote this this NBC pilot. We just turned it in. I had such great collaborators. I was working with a co-writer named Charlie, uh, Charlie Craig, and I was working with the studio, or I guess am working still, uh, with this, with a uh, studio called um, Madison Wells. So two people named Amanda and Rachel, Rachel Slane and Amanda Palmer. Mm-hmm. And you know they gave us, they gave me and Charlie such great notes, you know, about what we were what we were doing, and and just, and it was like really the best collaboration I mean, of my life. Maybe it was just such a wow. great collaboration. Oh, that's yeah. so fun. Yeah. So when you get a really good, Pretty Little Liars was another great situation. Yeah. I mean, I love that writer's room. The people in there were just all so wonderful. And you never worried about saying, you know, saying something dumb, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, you've just felt totally comfortable. Like, and, uh, like, for instance, I know this really great podcaster named Christy, that would be perfect <laughs> if we just built this character around her. Uh, yeah, there we <laughs> They'd go. be like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, how is she going to fit? The next, <laughs> they'd that's, fly you out on the next plane. That's so interesting that you can collaborate in different ways, because I imagine in each group that you collaborate with has its own dynamic. Yeah, for just sure. Describing. And then you can also write solo and you can f- kind of go back and forth between the two. And I think that's really interesting. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And writers rooms are like any kind of social situation. Like so I was there once on, on some writers room. I think it was Women's Murder Club. And like everybody was talking about Project Runway. And I was like, what the? Yeah, all right. So, <laughs> so finally, I forced myself to watch Project Runway. And so I could get in on it. And I loved it. And I just got <laughs> obsessed with that show for about five seasons. Became totally fanatic. And my wife's best friend from back east, who I never really connected with, and I don't think she really liked me that much. Anyway, I, we went back east once. And she's a fashion designer and, and so on. And I had never really cared about fashion design. Anyway, so I started talking. I said, Gaby, I've been watching Project One Way. It's so interesting. So I started talking to her about fashion for like an hour. And you can see her like eyes kind of light up like, 
oh, this this guy that my best friend married isn't such a no good Nick after all. You know, <laughs> he knows fashion. <laughs> he knows fashion. It's not just the. She had it in her mind that I was like just some football guy or something. Yeah. So uh, so like me and her like we became best friends and 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 and, and my wife felt like a third wheel that weekend because. Like, <laughs> all anyways, because of the writers' room. Yeah. All because of the writers' room at Women's Murder Club. So yeah, uh, yeah every 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 situation is different and. Um, so yeah so anyway there's joy in a really good collaboration and there's joy in just you know writing a novel on your own that is just what you're what you're most uh passionate about so Mm -hmm. they're both good i love that well fun fun all right christy has a final question for you oh yes okay okay which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be god in terms of what it would be um you know i usually eat salmon when i'm eating fish I hardly ever I eat salmon bass. tonight in the fridge. <laughs> oh, salmon is the best. Yeah, I hardly, I hardly ever get sea bass because it's kind of like expensive. Mm-hmm. But I think I would, I would probably have sea bass just because that's what I like. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's Why not? what I would like. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And as to what, uh, maybe some asparagus. Um, <laughs> and as to what I would, what I would, uh, what character that I've written, what I most, you know, I guess. The first thing that comes to mind is Petra. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just want to say, Petra, you know, you've had some tough time in your life. It's okay. Don't don't blame yourself for it and all kinds of crazy stuff. And, you know, just treat yourself well. It's going to be okay. You know, just mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. Good, good advice. And have, have, some, have some fish and relax. <laughs> <laughs> some, give yourself some grace. We'll have some sea bass. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Great, so, great. Matt, when our listeners want to find out more about you and more about Killer Story, which is such a great title and cover, where should they go to do that? MattWittenWriter.com. And that's, Witten with, and that's Witten with no H. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been such a fun conversation. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it also. Absolutely. So I think we'll just, our final cheers and to much more success. Yes, cheers. See you too. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Cheers.